Hello, and welcome to Miss D's Lunacy. I have the pleasure to introduce to you the Prince of the 21st Century, a most interesting and passionate young man, full of wonderful stories, extremely dedicated to his craft as a jewelry designer, full of life, knowledge, and history, with a tremendous sense of humor, and talented, and so very elegant. I now introduce you to Prince Dimitri of Yugoslavia. Hello, Dimitri. Hello, Miss D. It's nice to see you again. Thank you for being on the show and sharing your stories with my listeners. It's an honor to have you here with us today. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a treat and it's a pleasure because you're such an entertaining and wonderfully creative person. And it's not always easy to find you, I should say. <laughs> Thank you. Now, we're going to talk about your family and your history because you are completely royal. And it's just so interesting because your grandmother was Queen Marie Jose of Italy and your and Princess Olga of Yugoslavia. Give us a little bit of a background on that because we obviously don't understand it. <laughs> it's simple and complicated at the same time. It is true. My mother is the eldest daughter of the King and Queen of Italy. And my father is the son of the Prince Regent, uh, Paul of Yugoslavia and his wife, my grandmother, who was born Princess Olga of Greece and Denmark. It's amazing. We've got so many countries over here. <laughs> right there you have four. I know. <laughs> it's, it's confusing, total confusion. But what I find fascinating about all this is that so many of them were so incredibly talented. So this is where part of your talent comes from. You had Prince Nicola of Greece and Denmark was an avid oil painter, which is extraordinary. My great-grandfather, yes. Yes, and then your great-great-grandfather was Grand Duke Vladimir of Russia, patron of the avant-garde, who spurred the creation of the Ballet Russe. Yes, and Diaghilev, and... Amazing. Yeah. And so your curiosity and love for fine gems and jewelry was already sort of in your bones and your DNA from all the fact that your grandparents and all of these wonderful people were so creative in themselves. Yes. And you also were surrounded by diadems, tiaras, and everything else as a child. Now, you told me that you collected stones when you were a child. And you know, my grandfather designed a lot of jewelry, King Umberto, for um, his wife, for my grandmother. He um, had a passion of, for stones and jewelry. And since you look exactly yeah. like your father, <laughs> and there's obviously, you, we know your part. Isn't that fascinating that he designed mm. it? Yeah. Fantastic. Where are those pieces now? Well, some, some we have, uh, some my uncle has, some my mother has, you know, some are gone, some have been stolen, some have been sold. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it happens. But it's quite a collection. Mm. So you developed at early age a curiosity for stones, and you said you had an ethereal passion for, min for minerals, for stones, for well, jewelry. I have great chemistry with uh, gems, yeah. Isn't it amazing? Because a lot of people say there is... Chemistry with 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 stones for people. There's yes. some of them are their chakra movements. Some of them are very, very healing powers. But you basically use a lot of different other stones as well. So you started uh, in school. You were raised in a, in a palace near near the palace of Versailles. You attended boarding schools in France and Switzerland, and then you went to law school and got a degree. And then you were going to pursue a career on Wall Street, but just for some reason, jewelry just continued to fascinate you. And you said, it resonates. I have a complete chemical affinity with stones, jewels, and all metals. Mm. It's extraordinary. Very few people can do that. 
I guess so. It was an innate sense of yourself. Part of my DNA. I know. So you took your pencils and you went to work, right? Mm -hmm. And you created some of the most... Well, no. First, I worked for Sotheby's. Yes, correct. For 16 years. Yes. In the jewelry department, obviously. Correct, correct. And you had some incredible stories there. And I studied gemology at the same time. And you studied gemology, correct. And so you enjoyed very much working there. You were there for quite some time. 16 years, yes. It's enormous. And so your knowledge between the gemology and all of the jewelry that arrived for the sales must have been fascinating for you. Yes, tons of jewelry. Every day of my life, there was tons and tons of jewelry that walked in the door. And you were inspired, saying, that doesn't look good, I could make that better. Well, I would put, yeah, yeah, I was uh, appraising it, yeah. Amazing. So you saw the collection of the Duchess of Windsor. Yes. Andy Warhol. Jackie Kennedy, Elton John, amongst many others. Ava Gardner. Oh, yeah, Marlene Dietrich. Wow. Yeah, there was quite a few famous ladies there. And the jewelry sold far more than it was expected, yeah, right? Yeah, always. Provenance is always a key element in, in auctions. It really, but it's amazing when you hear, when you see the auction going on. And the exhibitions went pretty much around the world for some of them. Yes. So you were part of one of this wonderful one when you went to Hong Kong. Tell us about this wonderful... It was the Albina Bois-Rouvray. Albina du Bois-Rouvray. Yes. She was a niece of the famous uh, Patino, the, yes. the Tin King from Bolivia. The rest? One of the most amazing collections of art and jewelry uh, in the world in his days. Amazing. Yes. So she sold her entire collection which was which sold for a hundred million dollars, uh, but in rather tragic circumstances, her son, her only son, who was my younger brother's best friend, died in a helicopter crash. Yeah, and oh. that was completely devastating to her. So she founded this um, a charity to help uh, underprivileged children, and she financed it with the sale of her collection. And there was jewelry, objects, and and amazing paintings. So it was sold in New York, but it was uh, we organized uh, traveling exhibitions in Hong Kong, in Tokyo, in Geneva, in London, all around the world to attract buyers. So when we arrived in Hong Kong, um, I was greeted by security, who, <laughs> instead of doing it the proper way, which is, you know, discreetly and sort of whisk me uh, away, decided to honor me with the presence of five uh, 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 guards with machine guns, grenades. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it looked like I was being arrested. As so, a criminal. <laughs> as a criminal. So they greeted me so sort of violently at the top of the, uh, at the exit of the plane, and they even grabbed my arm to sort of show, but in a nice way. They meant it very well. So I could hear the comments behind my back. Oh, my, oh my God, look at this guy. He's being arrested. He must be a drug dealer. <laughs> <laughs> and I could feel myself bright red in the face, dying of embarrassment. I think that is an amazing story. <laughs> but then the exhibition continued without further... Confusion. So all went very, very well. In After Hong Kong. that one, you sort of said, "Listen, could you people calm down?" A little exactly. Bit? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had a meeting, and I had to instruct them that, you know, one had to be a little bit more discreet. Because, of course, because you know, if you draw attention to yourself, you never know. You never know. Somebody can know and then steal the jewelry. They can attack you. I mean, you especially know. since you were carrying such a large amount. How many were million. you? We were. We were three or four of us on board the plane. 
But we had two bags worth uh, $60 million dollars of, of jewelry and objects. Yeah. That would, I, I'd be really nervous <laughs> if I were you. <laughs> you know, people have left well, things. I thought this was quite exciting. You've heard stories about people leaving money in a cab, hmm. very famous violins in a cab, leaving their luggage in a cab because they're so <laughs> distracted. And then they're so lucky they get anything back. Somebody left $50,000 in the car. And they got it back. I mean, you can get very, very, very nervous in these yeah. situations. No, I never do. I get, well, good I'm for very you. focused. <laughs> I can imagine. So then you had this other incredible Hong Kong, Tokyo trip where there was uh, you were carrying six paintings worth $40 million. Well, it's the same exhibition. Same exhibition. Yeah, the paintings were $40 million. And then But so they were going on a... After Hong Kong, we were going to right. Tokyo. And that night, we got the news that uh, Nippon Airways had called to say that the cargo plane that was going to transport the plane, the, um, <laughs> the paintings the next day, had been cancelled. <laughs> And the next flight was in, in a week from now. So basically, that was the end of the exhibition in Tokyo. And what were we going to do? So everybody was in a state of panic. They were calling New York headquarters. And nobody in New York knew what to do. And I said, well, it's very simple. We'll just check it as my luggage. And I said it laughing, so people, yeah, yeah, one of your good jokes again. I said, no, I'm very serious. <laughs> We're going to check it as my luggage. We're going to bring the six crates to the airport. We're all flying in first class anyway. We were allowed to because of the jewelry, with me still. And we're going to check it as my luggage. And if they ask, I'm going to say that uh, I have a car near, I'm allowed to temporary export document. And I'm gonna, we're going to say that we're going to pretend that I like to travel <laughs> with my own personal paintings because uh, I redecorate the suites at the hotels when I stay there because it reminds me of home. And we are all going to look very, very important. And I instructed all the girls to be <laughs> immaculately dressed, all the men suit and ties, no training suits and stuff like that. And then I distributed all to all the men of, of my entourage, we were three of us actually, uh, a cigar, and we arrived at seven o'clock in the morning at the <laughs> Cathay Pacific first class counter. With black glasses. Black glasses, smoking our cigars, looking frightfully important. <laughs> I mean, we staged it, I staged it like in a movie, basically. And we went through the whole thing like a letter in the mailbox. They bought my whole story. They had no problems with my, my so-called luggage. There was a bill, of course, of $20,000 of excess luggage produced. But, you know, I saved the show because in Tokyo we had the daughter of the emperor who was, you know, doing us the honor of coming to the show. So, so that would have been mortifying because it would have been bad protocol. Bad protocol, yeah. The, the lady who was in charge of the Tokyo office said, You saved my life. I would have had egg on my face for the rest of my life. I was ready to commit harakiri in front of the gates of the palace had I dishonored the daughter of the emperor. <laughs> it was this high drama going on. I think And everything went very, very well. I think it's one of the most incredible stories I have ever heard. I had such fun this whole trip, I can't tell you. Well, you did it with such aplomb and dignity that you actually made sense. Why panic when you can have a sense of humor, right? And, well, you were lucky. Because and turn I mean, it around with it. Well, I just think it's incredible. And so <laughs> after 16 years, I think you did two more very interesting things. You uh, worked with Philips for two and a half years. But of course, it switched yeah. hands a lot. But you were also in the jewelry department there as well. Yes, also. And then you did something fascinating with Salvador Asael. Yes, after... Um, oh my gosh, the most beautiful things I've ever seen. 
Well, it, yeah, he noticed my work because I had started at the same time I was at Sotheby's. I used to create cufflinks and a little line of jewelry that I was I selling it. at Bergdorf's and Sachs. Yes, yes, and we want so to get to that. When I left Philips, Asael called me, and Asael was the greatest pearl wholesaler in the world at the time, with the finest quality pearls you've ever seen. Must be you. Yeah, fantastic. Beautiful. And he said, you know, I love your work. Do you think you could design uh, um, a collection of pearls for me? And I said, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I, I love pearls, and I think they're very underutilized. So I said to him, let's call it a new look of pearls and make it really glamorous and tons of it and, you know, cascades and mix it with unusual stones. And, and we did it. Beautiful. And after a year and a half, we were in 39 Neiman Marcus stores, and we were the number two seller in Neiman Marcus. Amazing. And Amazing. every month I was in a different city in America promoting it and doing trunk shows at Neiman Marcus. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I discovered, you know, I met tons of really lovely people. And uh, I kept on designing and designing and designing, and then I left. I mean, he died, unfortunately. They were the most beautiful I've ever seen. I, I mean, the design, the exquisite... Everything that you do is so exquisite. Well, thank you. Now I remembered that these that you also work with Alvaro Cuadrado. He returned from Brazil with some precious stones. That's how it started, the line of cufflinks. I understand, and I think it's absolutely fair, but I didn't quite... I, so he had a pair of cufflinks that he showed correct, me with correct. wonderful stones from yes, Brazil. absolutely. But a very thick mounting with thick claws around it. Yes, And yes. I said, you know, that mounting is not Awful. good. It's not <laughs> good. Funny too, Bad, yeah. we can't do it. Sorry, I have to change it. <laughs> so I stared into a stone and all of a sudden I had the idea and I said, I know exactly what you're going to do. You're going to drill a hole in the center of each stone <laughs> and in that little hole you're going to encrust a ruby, a diamond, an emerald and a sapphire and then mount them via chains in the back. So he looked at me a little bit perplexed. I said, he said, are you sure? I said, yes, 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 I'm sure. <laughs> You've been doing this forever. You no, know. no, no. It was my, I had never no, done you, it before. No, but because of your creativity... Yes, I, I thought about, you know, the, in, the Indian rubies and emeralds that are pierced and have a little That's diamond right. in it. That's correct. So, so I explained, you know, like the Indians do with the diamonds, etc. So we did it. And it worked out perfectly. And it became this big line of cufflinks that yeah. was sold for years at Neiman Marcus. Um, Bergdorf, uh, Barney's, uh, Saks Fifth Avenue, everywhere. It was amazing. And then it evolved into a woman's line on the same principle, that there were no claws around but just stones in the middle. And, and I'm, I'm in the process of redoing that line, by the way. Which is wonderful. Now, that the Lazy Better Ring. made... Ah, the Lazy Ring. Yeah, yes. that's amazing. Never seen anything before like that in my life. I think Jana bought it. Yeah. Well, I've made many of them oh, in every color, yeah. So talk about it. It moves around. So the Lazy Ring, it's a, a block. concept. The concept of the Lazy Ring is a stone, where it could be an amethyst, a blue topaz, a citrine, a rock crystal. I've done a lot in rock crystal. It has to be a square emerald cut, and it has to be at least 40 or 50 carats. So it's very, very, very big. But it's the same principle as the cufflinks. You set a stone in the middle That's of it. That's right. And then you set it on the ring, on the shank of the ring, with yes. a system of a double swivel, so it never breaks and it always turns around. And the stone is basically loose and lies on your finger. when It never stands up. That's why I call it the lazy ring, because it's always, <laughs> it's lying, always down. lying down. It's always <laughs> lying down. And it's very, very glamorous, because... 
It really it is. It moves, it turns, it has, it looks, it gives flashes of light. And it also forces the lady who wears it to be in touch uh, with herself and conscience about this sort of presence on her hand. And it forces her to have different hand movements. If you have a simple gold ring, you, you don't feel it anymore. Correct. That thing reminds you of its existence every second. So you have to be constantly aware of it and you have to move accordingly. And it forces women to move very, in a very elegant way because you can't bang things with it. No, you'd break yeah. it. And it's a good sort of meditation tool in a way also. Because yes, it, but you've gotten very... It brings you into here and now. Well, I discovered the world of spirituality when I was 16 with a, through a friend of my mother, who we absolutely adored, who was a therapist, hypnotist, uh, psychic, uh, psychic healer, all of the above. And she was wonderful. And I was in school with her children. And she came for lunch one day, and I had no idea about all that. And my mother said, oh, you know, by the way, gay, she was called. Uh, gay uh, uh, is a hypnotist, and she hypnotizes people, and she heals people, and she's very, very interesting. So I thought, well, how interesting. So we went for a walk uh, around the palace of Versailles after lunch. And I said, you know, mommy says um, that you're a healer and you do all these things. And she goes, yes, yes. And she started talking. She explained to me, um, you know, the, the energy field around you called the aura, uh, that you have an etheric body, uh, what's astral projection. I mean, all these things. And it was a complete revelation for me. All of a sudden, the fog lifted, and that was it. I knew that I had discovered truth. I mean, it was unbelievable. So she gave me lots of, re of books to read, including one called You Can Heal Your Life by Louise Hay, who's still alive today and very sort of active in uh, helping people and writing and stuff. And we are talking now in 1975. There was nothing in Paris. So I went to see her, and she showed me how to hypnotize people and how to hypnotize yourself. It's really... Wow. It's a self-guided way to relax and to go into yourself and to do meditation in a way. So she taught me various forms of meditation. She gave me many books to read. And ever since the age of 16, it's all I've been, I mean, it's, I've been actively uh, studying all those matters. And I've read almost everything about every religion, every methods of healing, crystals, It's as though you have a, a balance of soul and tranquility, that you have learned this balance. Yes, yes. Which is well, extraordinary. Well, you have to. That's what we are here on this earth for. Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to do. It's not as difficult as you think. One has to concentrate. Yeah, but you have to be ready for it also. But you were so young, and so you... I was ready. I was ready. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. And so you meditate at least twice a day? Twice a day I meditate, yeah. It's all by yourself? Yeah. And of course you have this wonderful love of music. You only listen to classical yeah. music, which I find fascinating. Yes. My mother does it nonstop. And she has yeah. about 14 speakers throughout the house, and I keep going, oh my, and she's getting deaf. And I'm thinking, <laughs> if I hear this, bop, 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 every five seconds, mm -hmm. I was going to have a heart attack. But it's Beethoven, Bach, and Mozart. Would yeah, those are my three favorites, and yes. Chopin also, I would say. But, yeah, but I listen to all of it. It's so soothing, isn't it? Oh, it's very, very soothing, yes. It's beautiful yes. music. And I'm the one who told you that Mozart had a little house in London. Yes, you did tell very me Very unusual, yeah. very, right behind Sloan Square, and it's called Mozart Place. Yeah. It's very, and very Bach sweet. And Bach is very special also, and Gregorian chant is very special. Very. For meditation, I, I use the Gregorian chant. It's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. But because it raises the level of the energy in a room when you listen true. to it. And it, 
brings you closer to sort of more spiritual energy. So one of the most amazing pieces that I think that you've done so many beautiful pieces, and of course it all could be seen on his website, princedimitri.com, which you can always find all his pieces. But he made multi-stranded necklace inspired by Maharaja's treasures. It is draped with sapphires and emerald beads and floating moonstones. But explain the unusualness of this uh, necklace because its triple functions is so beyond well, it anything. Well, it started with seen. an emerald. Yes. A 42 carat. Oh! Fantastic. Carved Indian emerald. Yeah. Sort of heart-shaped with blue, beautiful fluting in it. So that I decided to mount it on the side in a flower of invisibly sort of set moonstones. And with... For every fluting, there was going to be a, a gold claw going around it, capped with a cabochon sapphire. Oh. So to bring back the blue and the green, I did this huge sort of bib, which was strands of emeralds and sapphires. But it starts with emeralds, and slowly, slowly it fades. It, you, I sprinkle with sapphires, and then it turns and becomes sapphires. It's amazing. amazing. I'm uh, looking at it now. It's just amazing. And on the side of the sapphires, I... Uh, All the sapphires have little diamond beads in between them yeah. to bring out more light because sapphires can be a bit dark. And then moonstones around your neck and dangling from them, sort of lying over the beads, sort of um, rose-cut diamonds in every possible shape uh, from India. So it's sort of stone over stone, overlapping and all that. And then the flower, you can click it off and wear it as a brooch. And then the second time you click it and you pop out the emerald with its mounting and you set it on a ring and you can wear it as a ring and it's all mechanically made. It took about a year to make in Paris, in, in one of the very top ateliers in Paris. So is your jewelry made in America still today? Or? Most of it is made in America, yeah. The, the first, the initial important pieces we made in Paris and in Italy. Now I make everything here because I've found, some, be, I found some very, very good artisans in New York and, and I've trained of, them also. Yes, and a lot of yeah. women wouldn't be able to do what you wanted them to do also. You had to go through trials and tribulations. Yeah, but because... You know, having appraised jewelry for 20 years, I've seen all the mechanics, all the tricks, wow. all the ideas, how they did in the old days. I've had more exposure than any of these people. So I can share with them and give them ideas. And we can, you can be creative when it comes to mechanics also, not only design, and I'm creative that way. It's amazing. So we've come up with a few, you know, techniques to better the manufacture of the jewels. Well, what is also fascinating is that you also make things for people who have old stones, who have things that they All don't the use, and you redesign and you recreate, yeah. and you make things hip and fun and chic yeah. and elegant, because a lot of the things that we have sometimes we just don't use. They look use. dated. They look yeah. dated and they look old. And so yeah. we, one of the pieces that you did for me, if you see my website on, on Misty's Lunacy, the necklace that I'm wearing is the beautiful design of Dimitri. And my godmother had given me a beautiful aquamarine, aquamarine I remember, and I didn't had, quite yeah. know what to do with it because they're quite fragile, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So it would not be a good idea to put it in a ring because I'd probably knock it and chip mm -hmm. it. So you came up with this design. So tell me, because we worked together on this, but yeah. I deferred to the maestro, which was you. <laughs> yes, we set it in a big uh, oval-shaped block of um, lapis lazuli. Lapis, oh. And then we played with all different shades of blue. We added a third shade of blue, which were pear-shaped moonstones. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 
And so this beautiful pendant, and I said, now, what are we going to do? And so you came up with a this. A green and a blue cord. And we, I only got the blue cord, but it doesn't yeah. matter because I wear it with a blue cord, yeah. and people are fascinated. I thought you had the green cord. I don't know if I ever... I thought I supplied a few cords that you can interchange. Well, it doesn't matter. We can always get them. But I just love <laughs> the idea of the blue cord yeah, with the blue, and people mm. focus on that. And, mm. and I say, well, I was lucky that somebody had left me a piece, a piece yeah. of stone, which I couldn't have done anything with anyway. Mm. And I thought, well, the person that has to do it is you because of your Yeah, and I do that all the time. People bring me their stones and old jewelry and especially pearl necklaces. You know, the sort of slightly what I call a polite necklace from their grandmother that they don't feel like wearing all the time. Or some old pearls that you don't know quite what yeah. to do that sort of look like... And then you add some bizarre to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You jazz it up a bit. I know. You and that's what you're so good it, yeah. at. Well, you also have a sense of chic and a sense of mm. elegance. So, I mean, you sort of blend the whole thing together, which is why you love mm. being in New York so much. Because, as you said, it, it's always transforming. You can breathe. There's so much movement here. Yeah. Whereas in Europe, it's a little more staid. But you spend many summers in Italy, right? Mm -hmm. At a beautiful palace, I believe. Well, my grandparents used to have an old Villa Medici. That's right. Which was the seat of the um, Grand Dukes of Tuscany, when Tuscany was an independent country. And uh, Habsburg uh, ruled until the late 18th century. And then the house fell in disrepair and was bought by my ancestor, Anatole Demidov. And it was renamed Villa Demidov. And it was very famous because it had been designed by Buontalenti, and the gardens had been designed by Buontalenti, who was a famous Italian Renaissance master. And the chapel was also, there was an octagonal, hexagonal chapel designed by him. And there was in the middle, there was a little lake with a famous, famous statue called the Apennino. The Apennino means the Apennine Mountains, which are in the north, uh, the, the spine, if you want, of, of Italy. And it was an allegory of the Apennine Mountains by Giambologna, the famous sculptor. And it was 45 feet tall. Wow. An old man crouching and staring in, into the lake, yeah. Amazing. And you could climb inside from the back on a staircase, go into the head, and the eyes were windows, and you could see all the view uh, of the property all the way to Florence. You could see the, the Battistero, the dome, and all that in the distance. That's extraordinary. It was so fantastic. You can Google it. If you Google Apennino statue, it's one of the most famous in Italy. And, of course, it's still there. Yes, and then my mother one day uh, planted some lilies in the middle. Oh. She was driving from Saint-Tropez with my father. We were already there, children, cousins and all of that. And she decided to make a stop in Piemonte on the way in a castle called Draconigi, where she had grown, where she grew as a child. And she went to the lake in Draconigi, which was filled with water lilies that had been a gift from the Emperor of China in the beginning of the century. He had sent a delegation of Chinamen, all dressed in beautiful silk costumes, who very ceremoniously presented all these bags of earth with lilies that were then put into the lake and grew and sort of invaded the whole lake, and the whole region has these Chinese lilies. So my mother took two buckets, <laughs> and brought them to Pratolino, and we put them in the, in the lake, and they're still here today. They and so up. the man now looks at water and lilies. Yeah, and the lilies from the Emperor of China, that the Emperor of China gave my great-great-grandfather, King Umberto I of Italy. Do you go mm. back there often? No. no, the last time I was there was 20 years ago because we don't own it anymore. Oh, I hope they keep good care of it. 
No, it wasn't disrepair. Now I heard it was repaired again and it was an academy, a school, an art school or something. But they did the big mistake of planting trees everywhere, therefore ruining all the views because it was all about perspectives and views and alleys and ev all the wherever you were in the property, you would see this famous statue. It was a focal point. Now you can't see it anymore because there's too many trees. But what a joy for a child. Yeah, you would think that in Italy they would be a bit more, they would know better. But uh, unfortunately, Tuscany in the in the 60s and 70s became communist, actually. And it was run by people who were completely sort of... Careless. Careless, uneducated, sort of very hardline Marxist, not interested in the arts of any kind. What yeah. a shame. Now all that has changed. Thank, thank goodness. God, yeah. But then again, there were some regime things that weren't going so well. You know, they always say, più tardi, più tardi in Italy. Well, they have their own problems in Italy. <laughs> yeah, they certainly go do. They certainly do. Yeah. It was a wonderful, mm. wonderful story that your best day of your life mm. is Latin lover, a French chef, an English policeman. And a Swiss and, clock. <laughs> and a German mechanic, and it's all run by the Swiss. Yeah. A horrible day is a Swiss lover. German cook. A, a German, <laughs> no, it's English cook. English cook, you're a, right. A, a French mechanic, because they're always on strike. Yeah. Uh, German something or other, and it's all run by the Italians. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that joke. I can never remember it. Well, you just have to switch it around a yeah. little bit. So in the meantime, after all of these glamorous pearls and these beautiful cabochons and these stones and everything that you're making, mm. you've now started a different line entirely, and I'd like to hear a little bit about it because it's absolutely beautiful. Everything you do is beautiful. It's called The New Look of Cool. The New Look of Cool, New Look I of Cool. It. And then, so it's a, a series of little bracelets that I make in hard stones, but they are inspired by the art of Pietradura, as we call in Italian, which was the furniture that was started in Rome in the f 16th century, and perfected in uh, Florence later, where they do mosaics of hard stones in every colors, and they compose, you know, flowers or beautiful, even views and beautiful. stuff. So I choose my own stones, the rough, and I draw on the rough itself where it has to be cut. I work very closely with the cutters. So I have this huge collection of very inexpensive gifts for Christmas, for any occasion, strung on leather. Because I'm also into the vibes of gems and stuff like that, and healing powers of rocks. Yes, of course, of course. So they're so striped agate, they're... Everything, striped agate, snowflake, tiger's obsidian, eye. tiger's eye, lapis lazuli, malachite, poppy jasper, ocean jasper from Atlantis, they say. Wow. That sort of give you psychic powers. Then aquamarines, peridots, citrines, also, and then you can combine them together. I, I, and I do metal ones. I do 24 karat gold, platinum, rose gold, silver in the shape of pebbles, and every color combination you can imagine. So but you can, I, And I do the leather myself. I actually make those I make myself. I send them to be cut by the cutter, but I make them myself afterwards. And you can make them as necklaces, as bracelets. You could wrap yeah. tons of them. You're wearing some right now. I'm wearing some now. Now I have a black pearl from Asael, an emerald and a sapphire. 
they're absolutely exquisite. Yeah. And the stones are so... I have one that you very kindly gave me, but the stones are so wonderful. It's a striped grey agate. Yes, they're it's very pretty. Yeah. Very, very pretty. It's very hip-looking. It's chic, uh, yes, it's, it's groovy, some, it's young, it's it, fresh. I know. For, yeah. for, I mean, I just felt... What you say yeah. about New York, it breathes, it transforms. Yeah. That's you. Mm. I mean, your body and soul is together, and then you, but you can still transform into something really yeah. extraordinary with your imagination. So these could be found on your website. Yes, and the other collection is a new look of Chic, which is a collection of crosses and paisleys. Beautiful. And because I love crosses. But I, I, love, I like the old medieval ones, and I use them in all sorts of materials, like Damascus steel, which is the steel one used to make the swords of the Crusaders. And today it's what they make the swords for the samurais in Japan. And in America, they make uh, knives and artwork made of Damascus steel. It has a funny sort of moiré effect on it. Interesting. And, yeah, and I may, I've done research in heraldry, in medieval heraldry, and I've identified 42 different crosses. So they are more decorative than religious, in a way. I've made them in every color, and now I'm making them in the same stones as the, the bracelets. So Fantastic. I should be receiving them sometime soon. Amazing. Mm. Now, you're going to be in this Departure magazine in November, I think you Yeah, said. the November-December issue is doing a little story on the bracelets and the crosses. They're fantastic. They're, yeah, they're so wonderful. beautiful. And so we can find all this on PrinceDimitri.com. Yeah. And these are your... So now you've expanded into mm -hmm. those... I saw these beautiful rings that you were doing in platinum and gold. And yes. they almost were sort of square. They had such an amazing That's feel. on the website. Yeah, it's also my new look of love, I call it, because it's a oh love ring. Oh, my gosh. So you've got the new look of love. The new look of everything. The so new look I've of cool. I call it the market of new looks. The new look of cool, <laughs> the new look of love, the new look of chic. Yeah. How absolutely brilliant. You will mm. never stop being creative, Dimitri. No. It's in your genes, darling. I hope, I hope. But it, just your creativity and the fact mm. that you're so lovely and amusing and royal <laughs> and kind and courteous. I mean, you don't find people like that anymore in these days. They're usually <laughs> like, get out of the way. You know, so it, it's, so, it's so enjoyable to have you. So we've got to get these. We've got to get these. They're fantastic. They're perfect Christmas presents. Yes. Wonderful. And then the crosses come... On a chain, or do they come in a... Uh, they come, you can have them on a chain, you can have them on a leather cord. Also. Same with the bracelets, the paisley bracelets. Yes. Which well, I let wear. Me see. Oh, yeah, the paisleys. And <gasps> the bracelets and pendants. Ooh. Yeah. That looks like a symbol. Of it's the Indian paisley. That's right. Which originally was the Greek mango, symbol of fertility. And when Alexander the Great conquered the Middle East and he went all the way to India, there was a settlement of Greek people who just stayed in India and stayed never there left. forever, never left. So everything they brought from Greek decorative art stayed there and was recreated by the Indians who adopted the symbol of the mango and we, you know, the design evolved into the, the paisley. It's and we know what happened, you know, and afterwards it went to Iran and all that, and it became all that. I mean, it went, it started in Iran and then traveled to India uh, during that conquest. But then it was uh, revived in the 19th century. And there's a, there's a town in Scotland called Paisley. Really? Yeah, where they used to do all these famous shawls in the 19th century, which was the big rage and which people now use on furniture and stuff. Isn't mm. that interesting? Well, that's true. Paisleys yeah. are used on shawls and mm. fabric to this day. Yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't even put the connection together. And mm. the Greeks all had something to do with it. Yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. 
Okay, so your show, PrinceDimitri.com, mm-hmm. you've got the new look of love, the new look of cool, the new look of chic, and I wish you so much congratulations and good luck for this incredible interview, for all the incredible information well, you that you've much. given us. And I look so forward to seeing your pieces everywhere. And I do have to mention, I adore your cups of pencils. You do have <laughs> these wonderful cups everywhere you go. With I've never seen so many pencils on and my desk. But that's what they used to design. Perfectly sharpened, and you could just see him just drawing away because mm. you're actually transforming something conceptualized onto yeah. a real form, which is sort of amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a designer who sketches and then he gets somebody to sort of say, you are a designer. I mean, that is you. And yeah. an artist and a completely fantastic person. But I always see your pencils and I have such a giggle when I see them all. I, the groovy New York mm-hmm. prince. So you're the, now you've done your transformation. But the energy is always the same in New York, which is what you love. You're mm-hmm. looking forward to improving, for changing, and new fun things to do, which I think is marvelous. And I think your collections reflect all of these different movements that you've come from. So don't forget, my listeners, that you have old things that you do not use that are sitting in a safe or in a bank that you could revitalize in in no time with his creativity, you must use these pieces of jewelry because they can all be changed, and especially old pieces, you want them to be having some pizzazz. And Dimitri will give that for you. And yes. so we want to be with the times, right? Right. <laughs> Very important. I know, I know. It's so important. <laughs> so you could do anything you want. You can do anything you want with him, and, and the creativity's there. So... Mm. Unfortunately, our time is up. Not that I would not want to speak to you for the next two hours, but uh, we really have covered a lot of wonderful ground about your jewelry, about your background, about your sense of self, your music, your wonderful meditation, which you're going to teach me. Yes. Which I never, I need that book. <laughs> the book, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, the book. The What Power of Now. The Power of Now. I love that book. So no, I've read it twice. It's wonderful. Tolle, yeah. Oh, and he's a lover of cats. Big love of, of kitties. And you have a beautiful Siamese called Bandit. And his wife is called Lola. And his wife is called Lola. It's so <laughs> sweet. I love it. And they're beautiful. Of course, unfortunately, I was sneezing like a crazy person. But there's nothing I could have done about that. But so you have a little bit of personal background on this lovely gentleman, which hopefully you'll have a chance to meet. And you'll be- definitely look for the Departure magazine, November-December issue, yes. where you will see lots of his beautiful designs on my website. And my Facebook page will be all sorts of beautiful designs of his creations, especially the cords mm-hmm. with the stones and the leather, also the necklaces, also the, uh, the cufflinks and the studs. Yeah. Thank you so much. And all this will be on my website and on Facebook. So please mm-hmm. stay in touch and don't forget, peace to each other and to oneself above all. I beg of you and lead us not into temptation. We can find it ourselves. God bless <laughs> and have a wonderful day. Thank you, Miss D. It was lovely seeing you again. <laughs> You're welcome. 